The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station. America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of all ages. I am Roger B. This is Locked and Loaded, and you are listening to America's Web Radio. Now, before we jump into anything too serious today, we're going to just get into a little, you know how, I know Victor covers this on his show a lot, but we talk about how the elitist in the government and uh, the the people who believe they are rulers and not representatives like to do things for themselves that they would not allow you to do, or they do things that they don't think is good for the people, even though they want to do it. Now, this is interesting because the governor of New York was in Israel. She went to visit to see some of the the horrific things going on <clears throat> and, you know, take a little tour, maybe schmooze a little, you know, get some, some of the Jewish vote together, maybe. Who knows? But in any case, she had recently signed a bill that disallowed New Yorkers from owning body armor. Now, this is a purely defensive thing, which I can't imagine why anybody would make this illegal. But she apparently thought that New Yorkers should not be allowed to own anything that would protect them in the event of gunfire, civil unrest, or you know any kind of breakdown in the system. <clears throat> and like I say, body armor is completely defensive. It can do no good other than if you swing it around, you might hit somebody with it. But it has no offensive capability whatsoever. But she made it illegal for New Yorkers to even own body armor. But yet, when she was in Israel touring everything, she was spotted wearing body armor, which she banned for all the New Yorkers to own. So it's okay for her to have it and for her to use it, but it's not okay for you to have it. The fact that they do things like this is just ridiculous, and everybody should call them out on it. I mean, I don't know why they're going to make something like body armor illegal for New Yorkers to own. <clears throat> Especially when it's so difficult to get a gun, so difficult to get a gun permit. And even if you have a gun permit, they make trying to carry your gun so ridiculously restrictive by having all these separate gun-free zones. You can walk down one street and walk in and out of several gun-free zones in and out of them and not know you're breaking the law that they have because they do not want you to be able to protect yourself. And they want to disarm the police. They want to disarm and cut down on police protection, but they don't want you to be able to protect yourself. But yet, when she travels, she gets to wear body armor wherever she wants because she's a governor, so she puts herself above the common people. So you people in New York, next time you vote, you may want to look and see who you're voting for, where they stand on your rights, because any person who's walking around using body armor who doesn't want their constituents to be able to have access to it is a pure elitist. They think of themselves as a ruler. They are ruling against you because they don't believe you have the rights that they have. Now, whether she wears it here, here in the United States, I don't know. But her gun laws have gone into effect. Now, nobody 18 to 21 year old, 18 to 21 years old is allowed to own a semi-automatic rifle in New York or you can't purchase one. I guess if you already owned it, you'd probably be allowed to keep it, I imagine, but the, uh, you're not allowed to purchase one if you're 18 to 21 in New York. You cannot purchase a semi-automatic rifle. A spectacular infringement on rights. Yet those same people can go serve in our military. They can protect this country. They can die for this country, but they can't own a gun similar to what they carry in their own homes. They can't protect their families and their property in New York. So, you know, I think right there, anybody under the age of 21 
who works for the police department or works for the National Guard or any soldier unit that's being stationed in New York, they should not be allowed to work in New York City. They should not be allowed to work in the state of New York. Send them somewhere else where they're appreciated. And if they don't have enough people to cover, then too bad. They're making it difficult on themselves. The fact that they give people who work in certain fields rights that they don't give ordinary people is completely against the Constitution. The Constitution is supposed to be equality under the law, and they continue to violate this over and over and over again. And now, finally, the New York gun permit issues have been somewhat resolved because now they have to be uh, a shall-issue state. They can't say you have to prove to them why you want to exercise your right to carry a gun or why you want to have a permit. You don't have to do that anymore. That's no longer a requirement. However, they have slowed down the permit process so much where it's almost impossible to get one within a reasonable amount of time. But if you're in New York, I suggest you go ahead, apply for it, get the process started. It may take a year, year and a half, two years to get it. But go ahead and start now because if you ever do need it, it'd be better to have it and not need it than need it and not have it. But be very careful when you carry a gun in New York because the they have like a little patchwork system all over the city of where you can and can't carry a gun. Anywhere that they deem is too populated, you can't carry one. Like I say, just walking down a certain a certain streets, you can walk in and out of several gun-free zones and be in violation of their gun-free zone uh, areas without even knowing it. So... But the fact that she bans body armor for people other than people in government positions. So I bet, you know, I'd be willing to bet her bodyguards in New York have body armor. But yet she doesn't think you're important enough because if you die, so your family will just have to suffer without you. But her family and her life are more important than yours. And I wish these politicians would quit doing this, quit making themselves out to be these all omnipotent rulers where they can control everything and tell you which crumbs you're allowed to still have. At some point, we're going to have to come back to the Constitution. It's going to have to be interpreted differently. It's going to have to be rights that are equal across the board. It's crazy because, you know, most traffic laws throughout the country are relatively uniform. There are certain issues here and there that will vary to some extent. Some states, you can't make a right turn on a red light. Some states, you can. But overall, generally speaking, most of the traffic, you can drive from state to state and not have any issues. But in this country, and that's a privilege, it is a privilege to be able to drive to get a driver's license. But a constitutionally guaranteed right, they can't even guarantee that right from state to state. Some states will not allow you to exercise your right. Could you imagine if they did that with voting? Just say for a minute, you had to prove that you needed a reason to vote. You had to prove, you had to pay for a permit to be able to vote. That's the way it is with the guns. You know, people say, oh, guns, you, it's easier to get a gun than it is to, to vote. It's like, no, not even close, not even in the same ballpark. You can vote in any state in this country with a form of valid government accepted ID. As far as carrying a gun, you can't do that. Not only do you need a government form of ID, but most states require a permit, which they have to take fingerprints. They have to analyze who you are, determine if you're worthy of carrying a gun or whether your background allows it before you're allowed to do it, which I'm not opposed to. I don't want people who are mentally ill getting guns in their hands. Unless you cross the border, the southern border, and just 
Come into the state with a gun. Yeah, yeah, there's that. Well, you know, that's coming up later. I have one where actually guns have been going the other way from the U.S. into Mexico. Now, you guys remember. That's to the cartel. During Obama's reign, they were sending guns to the cartels, and several of them ended up at crime scenes where Border Patrol agents were killed because Obama's administration had this fast and furious operation where they were shipping guns down below the border for whatever reason. I can't even imagine why they thought that was a good idea for any reason whatsoever. And several Border Patrol agents lost their lives because these guns were available to these cartels and to criminals. Have you heard or seen any information go by that addresses the weapons used in Israel by Hamas coming from the stash in Afghanistan. Afghanistan. Yes, I've heard. I know. Well, because Afghanistan is close to Iran, and Iran and Afghanistan are close allies, so there's a good chance a lot of the weapons that ended up in Afghanistan went to Iran and then went directly to Hamas and Hezbollah and all the terrorist groups that are now attacking Israeli innocents day after day after day. <clears throat> so there's a good chance that's the case. And who did that? Trader Joe, Joe Dementia Biden, he decided to just abandon everything over there, leave $80 billion worth of weapons and tools in Afghanistan, which now have come around and now they're being used by the terrorist groups coming out of Iran and invading Israel. It's just, it's so ridiculous that we did that. I mean, Trump had the plan. He was going to pull out, pull out slow, take everything with him. And it doesn't matter if it costs more to take it than it does to leave it. That's what they were saying. Oh, it's just a financial issue. We don't want to take it because it's going to cost too much. Well, what is the cost in human lives? How can you put a price on that? Apparently, it's just about dollars and cents to this administration. Because old Dementia Joe is going to get him and Hunter are going to get paid no matter what. And it wouldn't surprise me if they helped get some money from Iran in order to leave the weapons there. They got funded for it. They're getting money from all the other Middle Eastern countries who are producing energy. And all the people in Eastern Europe who are using the pipeline, they get money from that too. It's just, it's crazy how corrupt the administration is. And yet they keep investigating Donald Trump, who's been investigated for years and years and years, and they can't find anything. Although they found Russian collusion, because they went in his refrigerator in Mar-a-Lago, and they found Russian dressing. So... There was that, and I'm sure they're going to prosecute them, prosecute them to the fullest extent of the law for that. Oh my gosh, you don't want to have the wrong kind of salad dressing in your in your refrigerator. It's just there's so many things. The reason why they want him out is because he's the only thing that stands between you and them taking over everything. How was he in two court houses today at the same time? What was that? How was he in two court houses? One in New York and one in Atlanta. I don't know. Ah, he has lawyers that do all that for him. I'm sure. Personality? Yeah, well, you know, they will do anything to try and get him on some little, little thing. It's going to be crazy. But I hope if he does win the presidency next November, I hope he turns around and cleans house on every appointment he can make. Every judge he can fire, he needs to go through and clean house, put new people in every possible position he can. He, If he's serious about draining the swamp, he needs to drain the thing completely. You can't leave some of the critters still running around in there because they will just cause problems. It's like when you get rid of bugs in your house. You can't leave just a few in there because they will fester and make more very quickly. 
You have to eliminate every single one of them, get rid of them, and start over from scratch. And I know during his first administration, he was trying to be diplomatic. He was trying to be reasonable about stuff or what he thought was reasonable. And they took full advantage of him and would not give him any leeway at all. He was trying to be reasonable. He was trying to be the good guy here. And he's, I think hopefully he's realized now there is no negotiating with Democrat terrorists or establishment Republican terrorists. And I agree with everything you just said. And that one thing, too, was the fact that uh, our, that his attorney, which between client and attorney is supposed to be privileged information. Right. And his attorney at the time has been the one that has been stabbing him in the back. Yeah. It's- Cohen. And I have no use. He's not a whistleblower. He's a piece of garbage. Right. I mean, he signed, he has a contract signed. Hopefully he gets disbarred over that. That's a serious offense to do yeah. something like that, to betray a client's confidentiality. But, you know, it's just, there's so many rats on this ship. There's no way to do it without sinking the ship and building a new one, which is unfortunately what he's going to have to do if, if he wins again in November, which uh, I wasn't a huge fan of his necessarily the first time. I mean, I loved his policies. I just wish he'd stayed off Twitter a little more. But now if he gets in again, he needs to go through and just clean house, take it to him. Amen. No holds barred. He needs to start over from scratch. He needs to truly drain the swamp because you can't leave a few rats laying around in the ship without them breeding and making a mess of everything. So he needs to get all the rats out of the ship this time and start over. And half of those are probably Republicans. Most, uh, a lot of them are Democrats. It doesn't matter which side of the aisle you're on, whether you're conservative or liberal. There are crooked ridiculously corrupt rats in the government on all phases and they need to be taken out replaced with new people and hopefully he will do that with whatever power he is given and damn be the media because all they want to do is whine and complain about what he's doing oh my god he's replacing people clinton got in office and replaced all 40 district attorneys in a matter of months and yet the media just sat in his lap and didn't say a word about it. Bush replaced eight of them, and they went after him like he was, you know, he was an evil force trying to, you know, take over the government on his own. And all he did is replace eight of the attorney generals. Clinton replaced every single one of them, and not a word was spoken about that. And he needs to not worry about what the media says. He needs to get his own message out there and not respond to every little peon who comes at him with some sort of comment. The other thing I'd like to see is... We've got to get adults in Congress and quit playing games. And I would like to see Tlaib, I'd like to see her own people in Congress censure her or do whatever they can do. And if somebody has an answer to that, I'd love to hear from them. GM at America's Web Radio. Dot com. Well... If that's, you know, she is a unique, she's in a unique situation because Obama settled a huge number of people with the same views as her in a certain area of Michigan. He settled all like 40 or 60,000 people of the same belief as she has in that area of Michigan. So they have no problem getting votes for somebody who 
is complicit with what they do or feels the same way as them. They support the terrorists. She supports the Palestinians over the Israelis, even though they started the war. She doesn't care because she's one of them. She's a terrorist. But yet her whole district believes the same way as she does. They're all a lot of them came from Somalia. The Muslims from Somalia came over there and they all believed in her. They voted for her. They got her into office. That's how you take over a country. You reproduce, you produce enough people to be able to vote to get in the people you want, and they run things the way you want to run things. I'd just like to see your peers in Congress do something about her and the squad. And as far as the squad's concerned, I like their name. I'd like to (laughs) make them all stand up against the wall and put to use a real squad. Face the firing squad. Yeah, well, you know, that's unfortunate. That's the way our government is, though. Any area that is has a certain concentration of people can get the votes to put anybody in office they want. <clears throat> Very few restrictions. There are some requirements, like such as age or citizenship or things like that, which must be met. But other than that, their beliefs as far as what they believe religiously or fundamentally, you can't question those. There's no way to to stop that. If everybody in your district believes the same as you do, then, hey, you can vote anybody you want into office. And it's unfortunate that that happens. But you know what? It's funny. They said, um, what is this? Oh, I read today that apparently her Palestinian flag that she was flying outside her office threw her gay flag off the roof, her pride flag off the roof. (laughs) Yeah, because, you know, we know that's how a lot of the Arab countries are when it comes to people who are – who are gay, they don't like them, they throw them off roofs. That's just how they treat people like that. But yet those same people here will support the Palestinians, having no idea if they were to take over here, they would kill every last one of them without hesitation because they don't believe fundamentally the same as they believe in their sexual preference. Me, be whatever sexual preference you want. It has nothing to do with what your mind has in it. It has nothing to do with what your political beliefs are, with whether you believe in equality, whether you believe in equality under the law. Those are the most important things, regardless of what you do in your private life. I have no issue with that whatsoever. But apparently, these people don't even realize that if they voted or stood up for these people, they would come here and kill them without hesitation, because they don't believe in their lifestyle choices. So it's kind of like watering the tree that's got the noose tied to it and the nooses around your neck. But you're going to support that tree, water it, and nurture it until you end up hanging yourself. So be aware of that. I mean, all, and all the people who, do, who are here who support terrorists realize if they were here, they would kill you just as fast as anybody else. They don't, they don't need your support. They don't want your support. They want to eliminate everybody who doesn't believe the same as they believe. What would you do with one of our biggest allies that has been housing the leader of Hamas? Who's housing the leader of Hamas? England. Really? Well, I mean, that's up to them. I mean, they're an ally, but the guy, I guess they got to determine, do they have any substantiating evidence that he's done anything that's prosecutable or that's illegal? You know, because they can suspect all they want, but if they don't have any evidence to prove it, it's not what you know, it's what you can prove. And I don't know if they can prove that. If not, I feel like England would do the right thing to eliminate terrorists by getting them out of there if there was enough evidence to prove that he was 
related somehow to any of this or funding this somehow or having to do with any money getting to the terrorist. I feel like that would stop it. I mean, he could have been a terrorist, no doubt, but it's not what you know. It's what you can prove, and they have to be able to prove it. And I just wonder, you know, I don't know how um, in England, I'm not sure how their legal system or how their government system works as far as voting and appointment and things like that, because they do have a large immigrant base <clears throat> who tends to side with the terrorist groups. So I don't know if they have a stronghold there. Can they vote in people who will stand for that? Or will they block any kind of support to the anti-terrorist countries? I don't know. But uh, that's something I'd have to look into and see because I don't have the answer to that. But I would think England generally would want to prevent terrorists from thriving in their country. Because eventually it's like dealing with a snake. If you give it a chance, it will bite you. You know, as good a friend as you are with it, as much as you feed it, as much as you take care of it, you give it enough of a chance, it will bite you. Same thing with terrorists. You house them in your country. You think you're being nice to them. You're giving them a place to stay. You're helping support them. You give them a chance, they will bite you. They have no loyalty whatsoever except to their fundamental religious beliefs. And unfortunately, that's how they determine who they want to kill. People who are against their religious beliefs are people who they de- think do not deserve a chance or do not de- deserve the opportunity to, to live their lives. And unfortunately, we think if we're nice to them, it's going to fix everything. But it's like negotiating with a grizzly bear. You can talk to him all you want. You can offer him whatever you want. When he gets hungry enough, he will eat you. There's no stopping him. You can't just be nice to him and expect him to turn over a new leaf and not take care of himself or do what he wants to fundamentally do. So that's it. I mean, if you're going to support these people, no. If they got here and had a stronghold and took over our country, they would kill you just as fast as anybody else who didn't support them during this this war or terrorist attack that they've been perpetrating for weeks now. It's just I think the only way to do that is to put them under strict control or uh, don't give them any place to live. Don't give them any place to fester. Don't give them any place to thrive. And it's unfortunate the Israelis are trying to be somewhat diplomatic, I guess I should say. They're trying to be proportional in their response. But how do you respond to people who come in and just kill innocent people, behead babies? How do you respond? How do you have a proportionate response to that? It's it's evil. And the only way to eliminate evil is to wipe it completely out. You can't leave any of it left because any of it that you leave is going to be there. People are always telling me, oh, well, there's innocent people in Palestine. I go, are they really so innocent? They know what's going on there. They see what's happening, and yet they choose to remain silent. They don't want to help the rest of the world find these terrorist groups. They will hide them, <clears throat> or even by omission, they will not say where they are. They will not tell anybody what's going on. They will let them thrive. And if they let them thrive, they are complicit and deserve whatever punishment the terrorists get is on the people who live there as well. You can't be an innocent bystander in this particular conflict. You have to decide which side you're on. Like George Bush said, you're either with us or you're against us. If you're with the terrorists, then you're with them. If you're against the terrorists, then be against them. And don't complain when your house gets blown up by Israeli missiles because you stored some of the munitions there for the terrorist groups thinking, oh, my God, if I don't let them do it, then they'll kill me. Well, you know what? You set yourself up as a target. You set yourself up 
as an antagonist. You set yourself up as a terrorist sympathizer. And if you're willing to do that, then you have to be willing to suffer the consequences. And I don't want to hear any of this bull squeeze about, oh, there's innocent people there. If there's innocent people there, they need to either get out or they need to work with the rest of the world to find and eliminate this threat that's causing all this destruction in their country. If they want to stop it, they have to step up. They have to take the initiative. And yeah, it's hard. Yeah, and you're going to you're going to put yourself at risk, but you put yourself at risk by not doing it also. And I guess it determines are you going to be strong enough to build your country to stand up for it? If you're not, then you don't deserve a country. If you want your country to be supported by the rest of the world, make it a country worth supporting. Don't have terrorists thriving in your country and not say anything to anybody about it. Don't sit there and let them thrive and then expect to be an innocent bystander in this. There is no innocent bystanders. The only thing that is required for evil to thrive is for good people to do nothing. And it's risky. Yeah, you are risking life and limb probably by turning these people in or talking to somebody about where they are or where they hide things. But if not, you're risking yourself by potentially being in the midst of a war that's going to kill you, your family, destroy your house. And you're going to whine and complain about it, but you didn't do anything to stop it. If you don't do anything to stop it, and you deserve everything you get. I'm sorry. That's just the way I stand on that. <clears throat> you know, you never see refugees from America going places. We will stand up. We will fight. We will vote the people out of office when they do wrong. But we will stand up. If you see a terrorist, you say something. See something, say something. If they did that in Palestine, there'd be peace throughout the region because they would be able to stop the people that are not that are eliminating the possibility of peace. Someone once told me, he goes, if the Israelis stop fighting tomorrow, Israel would be eliminated. If the Palestinians stop fighting tomorrow, there would be peace throughout the region. It's as simple as that. They don't want peace. They only want one thing. They want to eliminate Israel from the face of the earth and destroy every person who doesn't fundamentally believe the same as they do. <clears throat> And it's a terrible thought to think that even though you support somebody, they'd be willing to kill you because you don't believe the same as them. But trust me, that's the way it's going to be. That's the way it always has been. And unless you eliminate the evil threat, there's nothing you can do except suffer the consequences. So if you're in Palestine, if you're in the Gaza Strip, and you see something and you don't say anything, you deserve whatever you get as far as destruction, death, that you get. All right, I'm going to have to take a quick break. I'll be right back after this. I am Roger B. This is Locked and Loaded, and you're listening to America's Web Radio. Are you a veteran of Desert Shield or Desert Storm? We do a show for you every Monday at 1 p.m. on veteran-owned, americaswebradio.com. What will Victor say next? Find out every Tuesday at 1 p.m. on the On Point with Victor show, only on America's Web Radio. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. And ladies and gentlemen, we are back. I am Roger B. This is Locked and Loaded, and you're listening to America's Web Radio. And right before we left for the break, we were talking about the conflict in, in Israel and in Gaza. And you see what happens when people don't say anything. They end up on the on the side where they're going to be able to complain and claim innocence and all this. But there are no innocents in the war on terror. Just like here, you know, if you see something going on, it's your duty as a citizen to say something, especially if you know it's illegal and you know it's wrong. Now, I'm not saying if you see somebody speeding down the highway, it's your job to call the police, tell them somebody's speeding down the highway. 
You know, you're not a law enforcement officer, but you know what? If you see a terrorist activity going on, it's your job to tell somebody because you don't know what they're going to be up to. You don't know if they're in your neighborhood or not. You don't know if they're going to be blowing up your child's school or your place of business. It's like in New York. I wonder if anybody really knew what was going on who could have said something to prevent the 9-11 attacks. They had intel. They had some of it, but they didn't have any. They didn't have enough evidence to go after these people. And I'm sure somebody here who didn't want it to happen knew something about it but felt like they would just be quiet and mind their own business and not worry about it. But now it looks like the terrorists are calling for worldwide action and – they want to bring terror to our shores. They want to bring terrorist activity to American shores. They want to bring it to our country. They want to attack us. They want to cause people to be afraid. That's what terrorism is. It cause it terrorizes you into being afraid and into not living your life. <clears throat> well, uh, Roger, I'd, we've we've talked about this in the past a little bit, but not. <laughs> Like I'd like to now, and that is that we used to uh, have a psychiatrist that did a show, and uh, she became a close friend and uh, extremely busy, but I emailed her, you know, our world right now is sitting on, in my opinion, a nervous breakdown, and people are talking about everything from the war in Ukraine to uh, what's happening in Israel and all points in between. Our economy is shot. Our, you know, people go to the grocery store and there are people now that can't afford to buy milk for their kids. And what does this lead to? Well, and, and, uh, and a lot of times, you know, the... Parents are depressed, or the father's depressed, or and she she was mentioning the psychiatrist was that she feels like that we're going to be in for some real traumatic things happening, and one of them would be uh, more and more suicides, which we're already seeing. And this comes back to what you were saying: if you see or you know somebody that's having problems. Let somebody else know or talk to them or see if you can help them. And uh, there are a lot of agencies that provide suicide help. And, oh, yeah, uh, absolutely. <clears throat> you know, it's it's something that we've got to address. And we're not going to change what's going on overnight. Now, no. Biden changed a lot of what's going on overnight. Uh, I know. But we're not going to be able to... Put the wheels back on the cart as quickly as... <laughs> as they as, fell off. As they fell off, <clears throat> exactly. So think about your neighbors. Think about, you know, everybody needs to watch out for everybody. Right. I mean, you know, I understand that we're a relatively free country. People have the rights to do what they want to do. But you know what? If they're causing, if you see somebody doing something where you think there might be some nefarious or evil activity going on, I'm not saying you have to go in there and shoot everybody, but, you know, let somebody know or say, you know, there might be something going on here. I'm not sure. Let investigators get in there and at least do their jobs. And there's a fine line, I know, between reporting your neighbors and letting them, 
mind their own business and you minding your own business. It's a tough line to, to toe. I understand that. But, you know, there are certain things when you see things that could potentially be evil growing in a certain place, you need to do something to stop it. You know, like if you see somebody leaving a package on a train track somewhere, call somebody. <clears throat> Let them know. You know, I saw this. It seems suspicious. Maybe someone should go check it out. You know, at least try and prevent that from happening here. And I think that is one reason why we haven't had a lot of terrorist attacks here. Because a lot of people here will stand up for their neighbors. They will help people out. <clears throat> I mean, when 9-11 happened, they had more blood donations than they ever had in the history of the Red Cross. Americans want to help. Whether it's our own people, whether it's people overseas, Americans are always willing to help. They're some of the most giving people in the world, and they prove it time after time after time. Any worldwide catastrophe, whether it's natural or whether it, you know, man-made, Americans always step up, and they will always help people when in need. <clears throat> it was funny. Somebody was uh, bashing one of the presidents. I don't remember the exact time period, but he sent um, aircraft carriers to a country that had just had a tsunami. And he goes, oh, what are you going to do with those? Send a battleship in to try and fix things with a tsunami? What he didn't realize is the hospital facilities on a battleship are bigger than any hospital they had in that country. They had the ability to provide thousands of meals every day with that ship, provide medical attention for thousands of people every day. That ship was not there in a battle position. It was there in a helping position. And if you don't know, don't talk. Look it up. You know, the Internet's a wonderful thing if you use it. It's like a mind. It's a wonderful thing, but it only works like a parachute if it's open. So look at what you're saying before you say it. And unfortunately, there's so much social media now where idiots with no information, no knowledge whatsoever can spout off about anything they want and think they're coming off as some sort of great hero or some sort of great informer of people, but they have no idea what they're talking about. It's it's crazy that people won't do the research. They'll just get out there and spout an opinion that they may have heard from a 30-second political ad or something, deciding this is the way things need to be. But he started bashing the fact that the president sent aircraft carriers to the site of this disaster, saying that they didn't need warships there, not having any idea how capable these ships are of providing support, meals, medical attention, and everything else that this country needed at the time. And no other country did that. You know, some countries send some money. They sent some some doctors over to help and things like that. But no one did more than the United States for any country in a catastrophic situation. We always take care of everybody in the entire world. And, you know, Trump was was bashed a lot for saying America first. But you know what? If the world doesn't appreciate it, if no one else in the world is going to step up and do anything, we may have to pull back a little bit. We may have to take care of America first. There's nothing wrong with taking care of our people first. Our people should be like your family. If you're there working, you're going to take care of your family first. You've got to make sure your family has enough to eat before you go try and support somebody else's family. Make sure your family has a safe, warm, comfortable place to be before you go support somebody else. And <clears throat> I know they say the people have the least to give often give the most. And that's true, but you never give more than you can afford to. Make sure your family is taken care of. You don't want to put them in a precarious situation. Take care of your neighbors first. You know, start locally. 
Don't worry about taking care of people in another country first. Take care of people here. Take care of our families, our neighbors, our communities, our states, our country first. Then we'll go out and expand beyond that, and we can take care of the rest of the world if we have the availability, if we have the resources, by all means. Help as many people as we can, but you know what? Start at home. There's nothing wrong with taking care of our home first, making sure we are on solid ground before moving to take care of somebody else. That's like somebody who can't swim should not jump in after a person that's drowning. <laughs> you know, what you're saying, and I agree, I totally, 100% agree with you, but, you know, think back, and this is sort of like us going into Kuwait to save their can right. from Iraq and from Saddam Hussein. And, you know, maybe I've missed it, but in my time, 76 years, we have, just like you said, we've gone into countries that have had either natural disasters or man-made disasters and done some incredible things. And, you know, we may get, in fact, we've gotten bashed for doing it by media sometimes, but a lot of times we get the publicity, well, we've we've done this to wherever, wherever, and wherever. But, you know, the one thing that I can't recall happening in my lifetime is for a country that we've gone in and saved their can coming back and saying, thank you, United States. We're glad you were here, and we appreciate what you did for us. Yeah, well, you know what? It's funny you mention that, because I, I wish I could remember the exact country, but there was a country after World War II that we went in and gave them s- some reparations, tried to rebuild some of their cities and stuff, and they, for years, attempted to pay us back. They were paying us money back every year to try and pay for the money that we sent them. And they finally decided it was so much of an accounting nightmare that they just said, just stop. But they were doing it for years trying to thank us for what we did and pay back for what we helped them with. I think that was France, actually. Was it France? I thought it was some Scandinavian country, but I don't remember for sure. I'd have to look it up. But it was just funny because the U.S. decided, you know, it was such a small amount coming in, and it was an accounting error to know where to put this money that they just said, you know what, just stop. You're welcome, you know. But on a uh, current current basis, you remember any country... Who even said thanks, yeah, or even sympathized with us when we had a terrorist attack, you know? I mean, now, the world was with us on most, after 9-11, I think we did have some of the world's sympathy in most cases. However, we had people in this very country who were dancing in the streets and celebrating the terrorist attack. That's true. And that alone would be enough to, if you see people doing that or see that kind of behavior, those are people who do not need to be here. And we need to have a better screening process, perhaps. You know, I admire a guy who's going to walk a thousand miles for a job, but people who want to get here just to cause trouble, to support terrorist cells, or to support anti-American activities, they don't need to be here. They can hate us for free from their own country. They don't need to come here and turn us into what they left. They're usually here for a reason, for a better life. And I've known several people of any all kinds of religions and beliefs. They come here and they want the best life for their family and they support the American way of life. They want to be Americans and they love this country. But there are other people who come here and don't do that and 
cling to their old ways of torturing women, you know, making them cover themselves up, treating them as second-class citizens, and yet women will fight for their rights. And or they'll come and they'll try to change you to be like me. Right. They want to turn the U.S. into where they came from. It's like there's already a place like that. Move back if you liked it so much. But, you know, unfortunately, we give too much faith. We have too much faith in too many people sometimes. And, you know, it sounds kind of cynical, but, you know, we have to take care of ourselves first. We have to let the people in here who have good motives the best that we can determine. You know, a 35-year-old man coming over here on a student visa from a terrorist country, they're not coming over here to be a student. They're coming over here to be a terrorist, and we need to crack down on that kind of stuff. We need to have better screening process. You can't just let somebody yell, oh, I'm being persecuted, and let them come in and then determine whether or not they truly are or whether they have nefarious motives or not. You know, they, they don't stop anybody at the southern border, and that would be the perfect place for anybody who is wants to get involved in terrorist activity to come walking over because they welcome everybody walking over with with open arms. And, you know, and people say, oh, we don't need a wall. That's just mean. Oh, it's really? You have walls around your house. You have walls in your house to keep people out. It doesn't say stay out. It says come to the door, ask politely, come through the proper procedures if you want to come into our country. Just like you don't expect people to come breaking into your house if they want to get something to eat. They'll come to the front door. They'll ask you. They'll be polite. They'll be nice. <clears throat> our country is like our house. It's a big house. And we need to get people to use the front door. You know, that's all we're asking. The walls are not mean. They're not racist. They're not evil in some way. They're just a way of saying, you want to come in? Go through the proper channels. Use the front door. Come in. Knock. Ring the doorbell. We welcome almost anybody to come into this country. Millions of people every year come into the U.S. legally. And, you know, we have the biggest hearts of any country in the world. I'm convinced of that because nobody responds the way we do when there's a disaster somewhere. So, you know, be aware of that. And, you know, I don't say not to support other countries. If you want to do it privately, that's your business. If your family, your neighborhood, your communities, your counties and cities and states are taken care of, they've got everything they need, then by all means, reach out to other people. But if you have people who are here who want to support their home country more than they want to support this country where they live and work and thrive, then maybe they need to move back home and take care of things back there. You know, you want to fix it, go home and fix it. Don't fix it from here and abuse the system that we have here that allows you to get all these benefits. But anyway, I I digress. (laughs) But in the meantime, with terrorist activity on an all-time high, it is up to each individual to take their own safety into their own hands, to take their own preparedness, to be their own first responder. You're, you have to be responsible for taking care of yourself. You have to be responsible for taking care of your family and training your family to take care of themselves. If you have kids, do they know where the medicine is if they need it? Can they find bandages? Do you have that stuff in at least one really good first aid kit in your house? Do you carry a first aid kit in your car? That's another thing. I mean, it's, I, I think September was preparedness month, but you know, now that we're having all these terrorist attacks all over the world, I think it becomes just as relevant every month of every year as it was in September as well. And it doesn't take a lot to start 
preparing for these kind of things. Okay, when I come back, I'm going to go through some list of things to take care of, things to get ready for. Right now, we're going to take a quick break. I am Roger B. This is Locked and Loaded, and you're listening to America's Web Radio. This is America's Web Radio. Would you like to have a show, talk about your business, or express your opinion on America's Web Radio? Just email gm at americaswebradio.com and we'll get back to you. Thank you. Attention veterans with PTSD. If you can't sleep at night, listen to A Veteran's Place, hosted by Dr. Don Moeller, at 10 a.m., every Thursday, for your answer to sleeping, here on the Veterans Station, owned by a vet, with shows just for vets. AmericasWebRadio.com What do doctors talk about in doctors' lounges around the country? Find out on the Doctors' Lounge Show, every Thursday at 8 a.m., on America's Web Radio. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Ladies and gentlemen, we are back. I am Roger B. This is Locked and Loaded, and you're listening to America's Web Radio. Right before we left for the break, we were talking about preparedness. With the world in turmoil, with so many conflicts going on all over the world, with terrorists threatening to come here and commit random acts of violence, now more than ever, you need to be prepared. And we're going to go over a quick, a short list of a few things to start with. And of course, for me, being locked and loaded, the first thing you should have is a firearm to protect yourself or some sort of protection device, whether it be a handgun, a shotgun, a rifle, a stun gun, a taser, whatever you feel comfortable with. <clears throat> but just know the very best protection you're going to have is going to be a firearm. As people once said back in the Old West, God made all men, Colonel Colt made them equal. So if you want to be on equal footing with people who will threaten your family or threaten to take your property or harm your family, your dog, whatever, your property, you need to have a firearm and you need to get training in order to use it. Now, if you already have firearms, that's great. Then you need to maintain those. Make sure they are kept rust-free. Make sure they are kept in a container or holster or case somewhere where they're easily accessible and something were to happen. If you have to run downstairs to your basement, start loading a magazine when someone kicks in your front door, it's going to be a difficult situation for you. And I understand a lot of people with kids have issues with having kids within the reach of firearms. There are plenty of lock boxes, quick combination Containers you can put these in to prevent kids from getting to them and only allow the adults in the house who have the proper training to get to them. So that'd be something to consider. But get a weapon, get training, get a way to carry it with you. If something happens in your neighborhood, if a bomb goes off nearby, are you going to be able to get out of there? You want to carry that gun with you in case there are threats. I saw a video today which was amazing. There's terrorists driving around on motorcycles just attacking random cars in Israel. These people just driving through the streets, minding their own business, and they just come up and start shooting the cars up, killing everybody. One guy was running away. Down a sidewalk, they shot him in the back as he was running away and killed him right then and there on the sidewalk. And now this is a violent video. It is, I mean, to see the terrorists in action is just, it's heartbreaking to see this. These people just want to live their lives. They're just regular people. These are not military people. These are regular, ordinary citizens trying to live their lives. 
and they're getting gunned down in the streets because these terrorists just don't want them to even exist. And if these same people come here, they are not going to have any problem killing families, killing heads of household, killing children. They don't care. You are their threat. You are what they exist to destroy because you don't believe the same as they believe. And if you think supporting them is going to help you, you are dead wrong, literally dead wrong. It's just this. If it ever comes to that here, I want everybody who listens to me to be prepared. I want you to have a weapon. I want you to be able to defend yourself. And just buying a gun and putting it in a box and throwing it in a nightstand, that's not enough. You need to have ammunition to go with it. You need to have extra magazines. If you have any doubt how many magazines you may need, play a video game for 10 minutes and see how many times you have to reload. And keep that thought in mind when you're going out there. If there were people coming at your house, multiple assailants, how much ammo would you want? Obviously, the correct answer would be an unlimited supply, but that's not feasible. But I would say if you had to have... A weapon with enough ammo to hold your ground, I would say a minimum of 500. I would recommend a 1,000 rounds of any type of ammunition for any kind of weapon that you had. Whether it's a pistol, a rifle, a shotgun, you need a 1,000 rounds of ammunition to back that up with. And ideally, if you have more than one adult in the house or even children who are of age to learn how to shoot, they need to be taught also because you can't do it by yourself. Ideally, you get your neighbors involved. Have a little neighborhood security meeting once in a while. Let the neighbors know who they can come to, who they can call if they see somebody. You know, now this is assuming that local resources are being stressed and police can't make it to your house if you see somebody doing something or the fire department can't get there. You need help. Do you have a way to contact your neighbors? Can you get them to help you? Or if you're on your own, how long could you defend yourself and your family in your house if you had to do it alone? Could Do you have enough people to help do that? Is your family big enough? If By yourself, do you have a plan? Do you have body armor? One of the best defensive weapons you can keep. It keeps you safe in case you can't do everything on your own. But have the gun. Have a way to hold it, like a holster or a case or something, some way to wear it on you if necessary. If you had to evacuate your home, you would have to have a way to wear that gun with you. <clears throat> These are the kind of things you need to worry about. Is your ammo in a box or container where you can easily lift it and get it out of there? Ammo boxes are cheap. You can usually get them for 10 to 15 bucks. Fill a couple of them up with whatever rounds you want. Have them ready to go. The handles are strong. They support lifting them, putting them into the back of your car, pickup truck, minivan, whatever, whatever it is. Be prepared for the worst possibility. Prepare for the worst. Hope for the best. And I hope, to be honest, nobody ever needs to use a weapon to defend themselves or their family against any kind of terrorist activities. That would be the ideal situation is having it and never having to use it. But in case you did, do you think you have what it takes to do it? Some people are there going, I would do it. I would defend my dog if I had to and kill people to do it. Yep, John Wick mentality. I agree completely. Someone's coming after your dog and he's your family. You need to stop them. But take the time to learn how to use your weapons. And when you have them, keep them clean. Take them out once every few months. Dust them off. Make sure there's no rust or any problems going on with them. Make sure they're maintained, just like you would your car. Granted, if they're kept in a dry, cool environment, they should be fine for years and never have any issues with functioning when you need them to. 
And then if you want to go beyond having one firearm, get a second one. <clears throat> and that really depends on who is in your household, what they're willing to learn. Or if you just want to have two, get a rifle and a pistol. Those would be my first two choices and have at least a 1,000 rounds of ammo for each one. A way to carry one with a rifle, you want to get a sling or some kind of strap to be able to carry it with you if you had to leave your house or if you had to put it in your car, if you had to walk with it for an extended amount of time. And get a backpack, a good-sized backpack. Now, granted, by the time you put a backpack so full of stuff, you're probably not going to be able to carry it very far. But if you had to, could you have one pack that you could take, grab, and go with you? And that's another thing. You want your medicine, any medicine you may take every day. Have a 30-day supply and rotate through it if you have to. Same thing with your dog. If your dog needs medicine, have a 30-day supply and rotate through it. As you get new ones, replace it with the old, you know, use the old ones and replace it with the new ones. Keep that available. Make sure you have your dog's food available. Make sure you have canned goods where you could survive in your house for at least two weeks. Granted, it won't be gourmet food necessarily every day for two weeks, but it'll be enough to where you could survive. The hardest thing to keep is water. So generally what most people do is keep a system for cleaning water or sterilizing water, boiling it, running it through a filter, putting chemicals in it to help sterilize it. That's the easiest way to do that. Assuming you have water close by, if you have a swimming pool, you've got a huge source of thousands of gallons of water. If your neighbors don't, you know, let them know if you want to, if you want to work with them on being a survivalist or being a, you know, a prepper in some way, let them know you have a pool and they're welcome to get water to boil their food or do whatever they want to do as long as there's somebody you feel is trustworthy. But that's what you need to have. You need to have food, water, medicine. You need to have supplies. Now, if you want to go beyond that, you might want to get a generator. You may want to get some fuel and be able to cycle through some of that fuel as you go to keep your generators running. If you want to go beyond that, get solar panels or windmills or something to generate electricity where you won't have to with a gas generator. That can be done much more easily than it was a few years ago. All that technology is coming on strong, and it may not be there yet, but it's getting there to where you had enough power, you could keep things charged, a phone, a radio, whatever you needed to keep in touch with people, to keep in contact with the world. You would have all those things ready to go. And even if it's just a hand-cranked generator of some sort to generate enough power to charge your devices, you'd be able to keep them running. Because your device is not just a phone. It's a camera, obviously. It's also a GPS. You could find your way out of things. You can get news and information on your phone or your radio. That's why you need to have some alternative source in case your house gets cut off from the cable or from the Internet. Do you have a way to communicate? Do you have a way to get information? Most people's phones are the best way. But if you have just an old radio, buy one that has a wind-up charger on it with a rechargeable battery. That way, at least if the power goes out, you run out of batteries, you can still generate enough power to keep that radio charged, and it may have a light on it as well. Get something that's solar-powered. That's not bad either. They have solar-powered flashlights, solar-powered phone chargers. All these things are available, and think about it in the worst possible situation. What would you need to survive? What would you need to make sure your family has communication that you could get out if you had to? They even make solar battery chargers for cars. 
you lay it on the on the top somewhere, connect the clips, boom, you're charging your battery whenever the sun is out. So if you're using your batteries to run things inside the car when the car's turned off, you have a way to recharge some of the power to it. Solar panels are great. They're portable. They're expensive, but they do work, and they're getting better all the time. If we can get an increase of 20 to 30% in solar panels, I believe almost everyone in the United States would probably have them, and they would do a great job providing power for a lot of people. Right now, though, they're very expensive. They do tend to wear out, although they're lasting a lot longer than they ever have. So think of all the things that you would need. If you had to get out of your house in an hour, what would you need to carry? What would you need to have ready to go, depending on your climate, too? If you're in a place north of in the country, you need probably colder weather gear available to you. If you're in the southern part of the country probably don't need as much cold weather gear. You need more warm weather gear, more insect spray, more sunscreen, things like that. Be thinking about what you would need if you couldn't get to your house for two weeks. What would you need to survive? What would you need to get by? How far could you get if you had to? Do you have an alternative place to go? That's really important, too. But that's probably one of the most difficult things It's finding an alternative place. If you have family in other places, find out who'd be willing to put you up or willing to take you in. I know I've offered my house to several people during hurricane season, say, if you need a place to stay, I got you. You know, I'll take care of that for you. I'll get you a place to stay. I'll get you food, water, shelter. I'll provide for you if you're in a hurricane. If you're in the path of a hurricane, I will help you. So try and establish that with people, you know. Get to know your neighbors. Get to know what their skill set is. Let them know what your skill set is and work together to have a community that could survive in case of this. Because if there are terrorist attacks in this country, the emergency services are going to be stressed beyond the point of being able to respond within hours. They're going to be overwhelmed so quickly you won't even be able to get help. Could you stop bleeding if you had to, if you had somebody injured in your household? Could you stop the bleeding? Could you stabilize them enough to get them to a hospital if an ambulance was hours away? Just think about things like that, and hopefully no one will ever need to use any of these things. But if you ever did, there's the thing. Even if you're in, what is it, in Portland when they had the the people took took over the the autonomous zone in Portland where the emergency services couldn't reach anybody inside that zone because they were keeping people out? Yeah. What if you were trapped there? What if you were on vacation? What if you were just going to see a show and all that happened and they put up the blockades and you couldn't get out? Think about that. You know, do you have enough medication for yourself to to provide, to sustain yourself for a few days? You know, it's just, it's crazy. Anything can happen anywhere and I can't say you can be prepared for every scenario, but at least be as prepared as you can for uh, for most scenarios. Most scenarios are not going to eliminate emergency services for too terribly long, but in a, in the event of a terrorist attack, like during the 9-11 attacks, emergency services were stressed for days. So if you had any kind of emergency, it was going to be very difficult for you to get anything. Now, fortunately, supply chains were still up and running. No one had to worry about finding food. No one had to worry about finding water. All right. Well, consider your survival plan. Consider your your preparations. And I'll see you next time. I am Roger B. This is Locked and Loaded, and you've been listening to America's Web Radio. The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station. 
You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.